This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlunderfritz. Joining me today is my co-host, Peter Land. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing a book by Pope Francis, Let Us Dream. It contains Pope Francis's reflections on the coronavirus pandemic and on how we ought to allow that crisis to shape our understanding of the world around us and how we might uh, dream a better dream for what the future could look like as the crisis recedes. And today we're going to start talking about the prologue of the book. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Peter. It's great having you on here again. Thank you, Malcolm. Yeah, it's great to be back with you after a number of weeks. I'm excited to be uh, looking at this book with you, Malcolm. Um, I was really struck by reading it. The um, subtitle is The Path to a Better Future. And in a lot of ways, I think Pope Francis is something of a prophetic witness for our time. Um, He's really challenging the church and the Christian, the lay faithful, um, to reconsider our, our status quo, to reconsider how we're living, to reconsider how we're living out our Christian vocation and our discipleship. And in, in reevaluating, um, consider new ways going forward. So I, I've been blessed in just um, hearing kind of a fresh voice. At times, I, I think he's speaking in, into the midst of um, the challenges we face in a unique way that, to be honest, I haven't heard coming from the pulpit, coming from too many um, American Christian leaders or voices. So um, I think, you know, as we look at this book, it's a great opportunity to to really reflect on where we've been, which is something he talks about, and to consider how we want to go forward and um, what might need to be changed or how we might go about doing that. But that in in particular, God is offering us this opportunity, um, especially with the challenges brought about by covid and the many restrictions placed on us to um, to slow down and to actually re-envision the world around us. I think it's true that he uh, Pope Francis has a very different style than is typical for a pope. Um, and that difference in style, I think, is one of the reasons that um, people sometimes fail to understand him uh, because the style is so different. Um, they can imagine that, um, you know, his message is actually distinct from uh, that of previous popes. But I think really what he's doing is he's taking the the continual message of the church and really beautifully applying it to our current uh, challenges. So it's not so much that the content has changed, but it's the circumstances that he can take um, take what the church has always said, but then try and apply it in the concrete and say, okay, if the church um, teaches these things, what then should we do? In a, a few episodes back, I spoke with uh, Jason Wilde about the church's social teaching and about how as time goes on, the social teaching, like all teachings, um, develops and evolves because it has to be applied to new circumstances. And we talked about how Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si is the church's social teaching applied to the new question of how we should protect the environment, which, say, Leo XIII, 120 years ago, didn't have to consider, but that the principles are the same. 
And I also uh, think you're right in highlighting him as a prophetic voice. A little further on in the prologue here, he says that there's two paths in front of us, and he quotes Isaiah. There's the path of blessing and the path of curse, and that's always the language of the prophet. The prophet is always coming to the people to say, uh, here we are in a, in a dire situation, and depending on your choice, we'll, your choice will determine the path that we take from here. A path of blessing or a path of curse. And then in the, in the very first page of the prologue, one of the first things that struck me was uh, that he tells us this is a time of reckoning. It's a time of testing. Uh, it's a time to make us um, sit up and look around at what we have and then to, to look at it with new eyes as if we'd never seen it before. It's those times, he says, that our, we can be open to change because we suddenly see things we might never have seen before. So I think one interesting question for us to talk about today is, what did we personally see when when COVID came? Uh, how did our perspectives on the world change, if at all? One of the things that was revealed to me was a, a failure to care for other people. For instance, various figures in the media focus on the fact that for young, healthy people, uh, you know, there wasn't that much risk of death from COVID, and therefore they refused to take precautions that were designed to protect other people who were at risk. Uh, instead of having a concern for those who are more susceptible, they only focused on their own uh, risk or lack of risk. And this was highlighted for me, you know, the pro-life movement has a great slogan that abortion stops a beating heart. And that's a great slogan because it so clearly indicates the evil of taking a defenseless human life. And during the pandemic, certain individuals began using a, a different opposite slogan that life is more than a beating heart. And they argued against restrictions on meeting for worship or getting together in the bars for the sake of protecting basic biological life because they argued that, you know, without all these other things, basic biological life didn't mean very much. And obviously those two slogans are incompatible. And it was shocking to me that the second slogan would be used by people who were committed to the pro-life cause because either all life is important and should be protected or not, that the life of some severely disabled person who will never be able to do much of anything is still valuable. And especially that the, the second slogan was being used to disregard protections that were designed to protect other people who were more at risk. And it's like this general selfishness that was brought out of some people. It can be seen in other things too, like the hoarding, where people stockpiled the goods to such an extent that other people couldn't get basic necessities. But in, in general, while it, it brought out unselfish responses in some people, it unfortunately revealed a certain underlying individualism and selfishness on the part of a lot of Americans. You know, I one of the themes that came up for me as I was just reading back through the prologue was that, um, you know, Pope Francis talks about this at time, this as a time of reckoning. Our categories and ways of thinking get shaken up. Our priorities and lifestyles are challenged. You cross a threshold either by your own choice or by necessity because there are crises like the one we're going through that you can't avoid. 
So this crisis came upon us, and something that I reflected upon was in my own life, various crises, how they've entered into my life beyond my own will, but have brought about or brought about in my life a much greater good. And that's something that I, I start to reflect on as being something ordained by God, like a crisis as an intervention or an intervention of divine mercy to really help us awaken to our kind of comfortable idolatry in this world and perhaps to our really miserable condition. You know, as the, um, the book, the letter to the uh, Laodiceans in the book of Revelation, how, they, how Jesus chastises them by saying, you think you are rich, but really you are poor, blind, naked, and miserable. And I, I think it really applies to America and the Western comfortable world is we have a lot of wealth and in that wealth allows us to live a very self-satisfied, comfortable, um, you know, seemingly sufficient lifestyle. But as soon as that begins to be stripped away, you can see people really grasping and clinging to that which they think is theirs. It's almost like um, a revelation of what could happen at death to somebody who, who clings to these, uh, these comforts, to these things that they believe their, their life, that life is all about. So um, I'm really struck by like, this is an opportunity that God is giving and it's, and it's a merciful intervention to help us awaken to the miserable condition and, and the unjust conditions, the unequal conditions, you know, the, a number of elements that are really off and wrong with our society today. And so you mentioned like, yeah, many people wanting to recover, um, just going back to normal, going back to what was uh, pre-pandemic standards. But now slowly, and one of the fruits of this pandemic, of this kind of forced slowdown, this like great pause button that God has placed on the, the mayhem and, and chaos of this world that you know a lot of people have been living in, is um, is time. Now people are, are recovering a sense of time and a sense of place and a sense of neighbor. You know, I, I do think Pope Francis brought up a really good point. Um, in moments of crisis, you get both good and bad people. People reveal themselves as they are. Some spend themselves in the service of those in need and get rich, and some get rich off of other people's need. Some move out to meet others in new and creative ways, while some retreat behind defensive armor. The state of our hearts is exposed. So I, I do want to highlight that one thing I saw, Malcolm, during this pandemic is that a lot of people did respond very charitably. They were looking out for their neighbor, especially for the elderly and for the poor. We did see, you know, wonderful things emerge um, and and. And people just showing up, doing their everyday work that also expose them to risks. I do. I've been reflecting on this a lot lately, but I think half of life is really just showing up, you know, just day in and day out, showing up to what God is asking of us, to the duties before us each and every day, but also to those things that um, are presented before us. You know, like, uh, and that might be a particular need that we were not expecting, a, a need of somebody else. So I, I do want to, I do want to kind of highlight that and and praise the the good that is was 
that brought, was brought about by COVID and continues to happen. And I think that's kind of um, creating the conditions for something new to emerge with people reflecting and, and trying to reconnect and maybe um, build a world that's a little bit different going forward. Part of what happened to a lot of people, of course, is that all the distractions were uh, suddenly shut down. Not, of course, the digital ones, but suddenly like you weren't doing what you were normally doing, or at least not in the same ways. You know, we feel that we're rich. And so for one thing, of course, it's obvious that this uh, crisis showed, you know, how fragile things can really be. But it also showed um, that in part we were taking on all this busyness to hide from the hide from ourselves the fact that we didn't know why we were doing it i think um suddenly like like what is it for you know like people were like okay well you know what is my life for what am i actually trying to do um and and a lot of americans suddenly found that they didn't like having time you know <laughs> i remember a priest telling me that people like to complain about being busy but they complain about it as if they're proud of it in our culture, we're proud of being really busy and having a stuffed schedule and having no time. Makes us feel important. Right. And suddenly, like, when suddenly your calendar goes blank, so, like, I'm reflecting, like, the first week of the pandemic, as everything shut down, it was like my inbox and outbox of, of my uh, email was suddenly flooded by cancellations. It's like, well, we can't do this, that, or the other. And it was an interesting feeling because, yeah, like, you know, you get so, so tied up, like I'm doing this, you know, and, and you never stop to ask yourself, is this really important? I mean, like not like, it's certainly great to do things that aren't important. As a matter of fact, uh, um, I was just discussing with someone recently that all the really uh, important things in life are the unimportant ones, in a sense, you know, mm. wasting time with God or wasting time with one another. But still, like all the activity yeah. can, so like this isn't a utilitarian argument. We're not saying like life should be stripped down to its essentials, but it's saying that we have to really reflect on whether the things we're doing is are just ways to hide the inner emptiness that we all carry from ourselves. And so definitely, I think COVID uh, helped a lot of people to suddenly face that, whether whether they faced it well or not. Uh, at least they had to reflect on it. There's a great quote from St. Augustine. He said, um, you've, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I think that really pinpoints um, the, the theme that you're touching on is uh, the restlessness of the human heart, the need to be active, to be constantly busy in order to avoid the emptiness we feel when we are not united to the God who made us. And like you said, I think when, when a lot of this was stripped away, a lot of our busy schedules, which like you said, is um, people wear like a badge of honor because it tends to help us think that we're important, like we're needed, we're necessary, that um, you know, it gives us a sense of affirmation, even though we complain about it. But when you strip all that away, it's like, wow, we have to really look at ourselves apart from all these things. Again, it's almost like a, an opportunity for experiencing a little death, you know, and death, mm -hmm. everything's stripped away. And we will face our creator without any of these distractions or mediums, but we'll see ourselves clearly in his light 
and we will see ourselves as we are and um, and him. And so, you know, while we, we can stay in our home and a lot of people filled the time, unfortunately, I think with Zoom meetings and internet and entertainment from the computer and from the TV, it's still, I think, allowed people to become aware of their need for existential purpose mm-hmm. and direction and depth and real, real connection, real relationships. That might be another fruit of all this is that wh- who are these 500,000 Facebook friends that I have, you know, like do, do any of them really know me and do that, do any of them really care about me? Um, I think it kind of chiseled away a lot of the fluff, a lot of the excess and allowed us to reconnect with family I'm sure you could speak about that, Malcolm. I know you already have a really tight knit family, but um, and maybe some close friends, you know, maybe or um, some neighbors, some people that are like um, very integral to our lives and that maybe we have overlooked. Um, I think that that is also one of the blessings. So it's kind of like, you know, going off of this, the theme of happy are you poor, like kind of bringing about the conditions of a, of a, of a poverty that can lead to a, a greater sense of community, but that's more intimate. You know, it's like kind of, um, I, I always find that less is more, you know, the, the less, the more we can focus on like the, the simpler things of life. You mentioned like what seems to be unimportant. Those simpler things can create, can contain such a depth of meaning and happiness that I think, in our busyness, we, we too often overlook. It's like God can be found in the simple. Yeah. And, uh, as far as, you know, like real connections, what, one of the things that struck me was that suddenly everybody in the media in real life was talking about the plight of the elderly in nursing homes because mm-hmm. nobody could come and visit them. But the truth of the matter was, is that most of them weren't being visited anyway. I mean, like there were nothing, you know, in the years running up to this, nothing prevented anyone from, from visiting them, but, it was an epidemic of loneliness in nursing homes long before COVID shut the doors. And then, you know, like suddenly because, you know, like it wasn't actually possible to visit them, suddenly it became highlighted and people noticed. But uh, as Pope Francis says, these things make you notice what was already there. Um, and, or like, um, you know, like the, the shortages of hospital supplies, uh, they highlighted the fact that um, how, 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 inadequate the health systems in some of the uh, third world or developing countries are compared to the United States. You, like, you'd see like how many doctors and hospitals there are per thousand people in the United States and then compare it with that same number, say, in Sudan. And the, the disproportion was amazing. You realize that long before COVID, this was the case that most people, say, in Sudan, if they got seriously ill, they were just going to stay at home and die because there was no hospital for them. Or if there was a hospital, it was hundreds of miles away and, and impossible to reach. Um, just like these these things that, yeah, suddenly the, the people in your in life, suddenly it was like, maybe I should reconnect with that person. I remember early on in the pandemic, one of, one of my friends was talking about how it gave everybody suddenly a shared uh, experience. And thus made relationship in some senses, I mean, it made it in one sense harder in a practical sense, but it also made it easier because everyone was sharing the same experience. Everybody could kind of say, yeah, you know, strange times we're living through. Like everyone had this shared experience, which in in a more traditional culture is usual. 
people had all kinds of shared background, but in today's kind of individualistic world where you can largely create your own identity and hang out with your own tribe, there's very few shared experiences that everybody participates in. Uh, but now suddenly we had one. So yeah, I think it, I think it did change the way that we had to look at other people. Um, it reminds me of uh, an experience I had four or five years ago when I went and worked with Christ in the city in Denver. And they had a training program that they put all new volunteers through. You watch this video of this uh, social science experiment where they took two relatives who knew one another really well and and they separated them. They didn't tell them what was going to happen. And one of the relatives was told to walk down a certain street to a certain cafe where they'd meet the researcher. And they were supposed to pay attention to their surroundings. And they took the other relative and they planted them along the route that the first relative would have to walk across. And they dressed them as a homeless person with a bunch of bags and stuff and put them on, on the street corner. And they found that almost all the time, the first relative never noticed their relative when they were dressed up as a homeless person because the homeless are um, socially invisible. People aren't so much uh, objectively refusing to pay attention. Subjectively, everyone just tends to filter them out to avoid the discomfort of seeing someone who's homeless. And it certainly did seem like after that training, I suddenly did seem to see a lot more homeless people when I was uh, traveling around Denver. Um, it'd be hard to prove, of course, that I was actually seeing more than before, but it certainly seemed that way. So but when Pope Francis is talking about, you know, like seeing, seeing truly that this crisis can help us to do that. Let me share um, an excerpt from the prologue on page three, where Pope Francis actually talks about kind of the way of the Good Samaritan. He says, in a crisis, there's always the temptation to retreat. Of course, there are times when we must pull back for tactical reasons. As the Bible says, to your tents, O Israel. But there are situations when it, it is neither right nor human to do so. Jesus makes that clear in his famous parable of the Good Samaritan. When the Levite and the priest withdraw from the man left bleeding and beaten by thieves, they're making a functional retreat, by which I mean they're trying to preserve their own place, their roles, their status quo, when faced with a crisis that tests them. In a crisis, our functionalism is shaken loose, and we have to revise and modify our roles and habits in order to emerge from the crisis as better people. A crisis always demands that our whole self be present. You can't retreat, pull back into old ways and roles. Think of the Samaritan. He stops, pulls up, acts, enters into the world of the wounded man, throws himself into the situation, into the other's suffering, and so creates a new future. To act in a Samaritan way in a crisis means letting myself be struck by what I see, knowing that the suffering will change me. Well, that very much, I think, speaks into what you were sharing, Malcolm, is allowing ourselves, like the Good Samaritan, to encounter fully with our whole present, with our whole self present, the people in the world around us, and especially those which make us uncomfortable. He says to enter into the situation, to enter into another's suffering, but by doing so to actually create a new future, 
which is for both of us. You know, an encounter impacts and changes both both people and and in the end affects all of society. So I think that is I love Pope Francis's continual focus on creating a culture of encounter. You know, because we may have the best blueprint in the world for changing the world, but unless we're able to meet people where they're at, to sit down with them and to really listen to open our hearts to another, to find out what they really need, um, what they might be lacking. You know, a, a person, it takes trust for another person who's suffering to open up. They need to trust the person who's with them and not just feel like they're um, be, being given a handout or a pat on the back or a quick prayer and then, you know, moving forward. So I think that's that's one of the keys that Pope Francis is bringing up is like, we can't retreat. You know, there there are times to retreat. And I think it's important that we have boundaries from the world around us in order to preserve um, an integrity to the to our life of prayer, to a spiritual life, to um, particular moral precepts that continue to um, strengthen us in our Christian journey. But that is is also given to us so that we can go back, we can go into the world without fear. You know, I think that's the key is like when we're with Jesus, when we spend time with him, when we're close to him and we experience his tenderness, we can bring that closeness of his divine intimacy and tenderness into the world with others without fear. And we might be hurt, you know, there's no doubt in that, you know, love is, you know, going into the world with love means opening yourself up to the pain of the world and the pain of others. But that's exactly what we're called to do. And it's Jesus that will heal that pain and um, mend mend hearts. So I, I kind of like this, you know, this continual topic of um, functionalism, you know, like our, the ways in which we've been inhabiting the world now are being have been shaken up and we're given this opportunity to revise and modify um, our habits in order to create a new tomorrow. One last point I just want to make, because it was something I was thinking about, is that this is giving us something of a transcendent moment. You know, I think of the idea of Kairos, kind of this timeless moment in which um, everything kind of stands still a little bit. And a quote from scripture comes up. You know, Jesus says, work while it is still day, because night is coming when no one can work. And it makes me think of death, you know, life and death. And I, I, I mentioned this earlier that, um, you know, this COVID restrictions kind of like gave us, was like a mini death to our world. But it also gave us this opportunity to reflect on how we were living and um, what we wish we had been doing before the pandemic. You mentioned, Malcolm, the, um, how maybe people in the, in the nursing homes weren't being visited at all, you know, and, and so COVID, like, you know, giving us this time to think about what were we spending time on and, you know, how do we wish we would have spent that time? And and then giving us this opportunity to, like, reconfigure our life to do that in a better way. Uh, that's a very, uh, very relevant to this project, because in one sense, you could say that happy, the Happy Are You Poor project grew out of COVID. Um, I found myself, uh, and, and this, you know, for my my personal experience with it, 
one of the things I actually had to give up, you know, like uh, Let Us Dream is talking so much about helping other people. And one of the things I had to give up was helping people physically because since I live with two family members who are at high risk, um, we had to, we had to make a collective decision about how we were going to protect one another. And, and part of it was pulling back from a lot of activities. I mean, like in, right initially, the activities disappeared for at least a few weeks. But when they came back, I wasn't able to help. So like I had been, you know, spending time doing all these different things, uh, running discussion groups, helping at two different food banks, all this stuff. And, and I guess it, for me, one of the things that highlights is the danger, as you said, that helping others can end up being more about ourselves. Um, because here I was, you know, like feeling like I should be out doing things. Right. Um, but like, was that entirely pure or was it more of like, uh, golly, now I can't do anything. Um, and then, as you said, you like reconnect with family. So here I was living with, um, my, my family members pretty much exclusively there for several months. And yeah, it was a really beautiful thing to really connect with him. It was almost like a semi-monastic experience, praying together several times a day, uh, eating all meals together. Cause I had, I had, you know, before the pandemic, I'd been out and about doing a lot of things. And now since I wasn't, I was really experiencing this family life in a much, a much deeper way. So like there, there's kind of like, kind of odd, you know, like this, again, this helping others. And yet at the same time, feel, you know, feeling like there was more of a need to help people than ever. And yet not being able to help me to realize that, of course, like, you know, like it's very important, but like it can be, it can be just as self-centered as anything else if it's not being done for the love of God and for the other. Uh, you know, and, and speaking of stepping into other people's reality, I was just discussing with some friends about how to properly help the homeless. And um, one of the things that was coming up and one of the things that Christ in the City emphasized is that if you're going to give them something, you should always introduce yourself, ask for their name, uh, make it personal because, you know, any agency can hand out food or whatever, but only another person can give that encounter, as you said, that Pope Francis stresses so much, so that not to waste that opportunity to give them an encounter when they have very few real encounters in life because of their socially invisible status, um, you know, it's not done. It's not, um, the one, one hopeful sign I did see coming out of all this on the institutional end is that a bunch of different cities suddenly realize, you know what, the homeless, you know, like when, when everyone was told to shelter in place, it's like they can't shelter in place. <laughs> They're homeless. So they, what they did is they took, uh, they, like they built uh, tent cities or they took up, uh, took vacant cheap motels, and bought up cheap motels to put them in. And suddenly like they did, the cities did things that they could have done long ago. You know, like there was no reason why they couldn't have done this. It's uh, safer and more dignified than a shelter. Um, but they they did like it took this to to give some people creative ideas about what could be done to solve some of these problems. But of course, that still won't solve the relational aspect that only each of us individually can solve. Yeah, I think that's something I was just thinking of. Is you know, COVID kind of revealed the the underlying epidemic in our society of loneliness you know, the amount of loneliness that people are experiencing is probably unprecedented in human history because of the lack of 
time that people spend together, of um, depth and relationship, of doing things together. You know, I so many people I think are struggling with loneliness, and and not just the elderly who are isolated, but young people, families. It's like you said about the homeless, Malcolm. So many people are almost craving to be seen, you know, just for someone to look at them, to to listen to them, but to really to really see them and let them be known. And I think in being known and being seen, it's like you're affirmed, you're cared for, you're maybe on some level understood, or, or you share a deeper solidarity of being human and struggling and suffering together. But when, when we overlook people or we just glance at people, it's like, you know, we don't give them that. We don't give them that sense of attention that they need in order to, to know that their life has value. And it's what God gives us, you know, it's what, it's God's like, that's what's so beautiful is that God is always present to us with the fullness of his attention and love. And like at any point, I mean, this is one of the graces for us as Christians is that at any point we can turn to our God in prayer and ask him for what we need, but just feel his presence and know that he's with us. I mean, maybe we can't always feel his presence, but our God, we, we can trust and believe that he is always with us and is listening to us. And I think as we grow as Christians, we can really sense his consolation in the midst of difficulties. And so it's like the world is crying out, you know, like that um, there's a need for, like you said, relational connection, depth, um, a tenderness and closeness, you know, as Pope Francis said, a witness to closeness and tenderness. So I, I think that's one of the, you know, things that, you know, I, and also my own, I want to mention this, um, my own personal crisis. You mentioned, you know, you kind of running around doing a hundred things and, and kind of missing, missing the, your family that you're living with. Um, for me, one of the great blessings um, in my life was a crisis that I went through right after high school and beginning of college, I got arrested for drinking and driving. And it really shut down everything in my life. I mean, it was a major kind of crisis and it put the pause button on all the frenetic partying and, and activity that I was used to. And it really revealed my need for something purposeful, for something uh, meaningful. And out of that crisis emerged like new resolutions and different priorities and new connections with people that I cared about and that I knew cared about me, um, as opposed to kind of like running around and connecting with all these different social groups that really um, were quite superficial. So again, it's like this God, like, it, you know, Pope Francis says, God intervenes in our life because he is faithful. He is faithful to his plans for us. And sometimes, just like in the history of Israel, those interventions were painful and difficult to accept. Like in the case of Israel, God allowed them to be conquered by an enemy, or he allowed the Ark of the um, Covenant or the, the tabernacle to be taken away. Um, you know, for us, I think we ought to reflect on like, what is God, you know, how is God intervening in my life right now to bring about, um, to, to, to bring me closer to him and to bring my life more accordance 
um, with the, the plan he has for my life, with the vision he has, the vocation he has for me. Your story about, you know, a personal crisis uh, reminds you of how a little further on in the book, Pope Francis talks about his own personal crises where, yeah, God sends them to wake us up. And I know I've certainly certainly went through some of those things, the, the sickness of family members, all kinds of different things that come upon us and upend our life so that we can wake up. And all too often, I think, I certainly I can say this for myself, the crises have come and I haven't listened, you know, uh, I've just fought on. Uh, a theme I was interested in in the, in the prologue was when he talked about how a lot of people, when there's a crisis of any sort, will kind of shrug like, um, at some point in the book, he t- tells it, um, so what is them? Uh, you know, like, oh, well, you know, like to get on in life, you have to realize like this is just the way the world is. But Pope Francis talks about how that so what attitude um, is not the right one because he said God doesn't, he, he's, uh, to give an exact quote, he says, uh, but such a response misinterprets God's creation as static when it's the dynamic process. The world is always being made. Paul in his letter to Romans says that creation is growing from birth pangs. God wants us to bring forth the world with us as partners continually. He has invited us to join him from the very beginning in peaceful times and in times of crisis at all times. It's not like we've been handed this thing all wrapped up and sealed. Here, have the world. No, we're protagonists. We're, if I can stretch the word, co-creators. When the Lord told us to go forth and multiply, to master the earth, he's saying, be the creators of your future. So I was thinking about in the church, you know, like we're all saved through Christ, but Christ founded a church so that we could help the process of redemption for ourselves and others, so that we could go out and baptize all the nations. I mean, he didn't need to set it up that way, obviously. He's more than capable of saving people without our activity. Going back to what I was saying earlier about how I was doing all these things, these good things, but was probably too, um, you know, doing them too self-centered and too self-important of a way. So in the church, we're called on to help redeem the world. And as he's saying, we're also allowed to help share in creating the world. And that's a that shouldn't be like, that shouldn't give us a sense of like too much self-importance. Instead, it should give us a sense of awe that God is allowing us to help. And then to be willing, yeah, to, instead of saying, well, like, this is a terrible thing, or I don't know why things are this way, to say, if this is a terrible thing, what can I do to improve on the terrible thing? Uh, is, could this terrible thing be partly my fault? Uh, is there something wrong with me? You know, like uh, G.K. Chesterton supposedly said when someone asked him what was wrong with the world, he said, I am. And, and there's a, there should be a, a healthy dose of that in all of us to when a, when a crisis happens to say, okay, so things are bad. Like, how do I make them better? I think, um, you know, for all of our talk about being such a um, go-getting and individualistic culture, I think it, there's a surprising amount in our society of uh, complaining about why, like in the church, there's a lot of complaining. Why don't the bishops do something about the mess we're in? In the um, country? Why don't our elected officials do something about the mess we're in? Whatever kind of mess, whether it's COVID or anything else. And uh, of course, as long as everyone sits around and wonders why something isn't being done, nothing will happen, as Pope Francis is trying to point out here. Yeah, he says, um, 
what is to come doesn't depend on some unseen mechanism, a future in which humanity is a passive spectator. So whether we are um, actively involved in the world or not makes a difference. It's going to affect what happens, what, what comes forth. It's like a, a garden. You know, um, if you just if you don't do anything in a garden, it will turn to weeds. It will start to turn out of control. Um, you know, it, it'll look messy. It'll be messy. The plants that you planted won't bear much fruit. It will um, it will fail to achieve its potential. And the garden is such a great metaphor for the world we live in, not just the world we live in, but also our own souls. You know, it's like God has given us, as, as Pope Francis says, God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful. Humankind has a mandate to change, to build, to master creation in the positive sense of creating from it and with it. So while it's true, like as you said, Malcolm, that um, we're saved by grace, it's not without, though, our cooperation. It's not without our involvement, our acceptance, our working with it, our working with the grace that God gives us. Um, and to the degree that we work with it will, the, will be the degree that we help bring about God's kingdom and that we, um, we work together with him in advancing the redemption of the world. I mean, it is a really um, humbling and awe-inspiring thought that God invites humanity to be a part of his work of redemption in the world, and, and, and the church in particular. The church is be, being given this privileged position in the history of the world to, be, um, to participate in the, in the process of Christ's redemption. And that will be revealed in the world to come, which is something that we often don't reflect on is like, you know, Christians have a great responsibility in this world. The church has this amazing responsibility, which should humble us and bring us so much joy, but also that in the world to come, in the age to come, in the eternity of heaven and the new creation, those who cooperate with God's grace will reflect this, the same life, light, and glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, the saints in heaven will look and and rule the world. I mean, they will rule the world to come. That's really from Scripture. And not that that's why we do anything, but it also should spur us forward, you know, in hope. Like, wow, there's there's something great awaiting those who spend their their lives in service of God and the world right now. You know, despite its pain and suffering, the suffering that we might experience, it's like, what will that be in light of eternity? Won't it be all worth it? You know, like um, St. Paul has, has a reflection. I consider that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come and be revealed in us. That is worth our, our time and reflection. That's what we should be thinking about. Wow. You know, like the suffering of this time is not even worthy to be compared with the world. And, and we should be reflecting on the saints are in glory now, like they're enjoying the, the beatific vision and the beauty of heaven, but they continue from their heavenly place to participate in Christ's redemption. You know, both St. Teresa or St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Faustina, a number of saints have said, my mission has only begun at the hour of their death. They were saying this, my mission will 
will come to its full fruition in the life to come. That to me is powerful. It's like, wow, like their mission, like their, this life is like almost a preparation for their, their mission in heaven, that they will continue to work with Jesus in revealing the love and mercy of God and, and playing um, a role in leading people to Christ and to their own, the own fullness of their, their potential. And that's interesting. And of course, you know, like all the St. Paul and all these saints are, of course, talking ultimately about, you know, the heavenly reality. But it's it's true, too, even of the earthly reality that just as, you know, like we're, you know, we get to heaven and attain this place of glory, both by God's grace, but by our cooperation. So Francis then is saying, like, we can dream of something different in the here and now, too, that um, what happens on this earth also is not entirely under our control, but it's not um, divorced from the choices that we individually and collectively make. It's it's interesting uh, too that in the in the prologue he's ta- saying that the modern world um, has developed equality and liberty, but has not talked much about fraternity. And that was something that I was thinking about too, because um, so if we have equality and liberty, you know, if we have a certain like. I think about the church's social teaching where it says that we all have rights, but every right comes with a duty. And one of the duties is to give up lesser rights if others don't have greater rights. So I was thinking about if all there is is like Americans are great about, you know, the liberty aspect. We all uh, don't like infringements on our liberty, as we saw in in the COVID uh, shutdowns. But as we also saw, um, if we don't take into account the aspect of fraternity, of willingly sacrificing some rights for the good of others, uh, John Paul II said that that um, uh, he was talking about, for, for just to give an example, like if a, um, we may have a right to this or that, but if someone else doesn't have enough food, um, we have to be willing to sacrifice some rights to that, you know, expend the, the right to uh, enough recreation and other, say, amusements, those lesser necessities of life, so that he can have the greater necessity of food, we should be willing to give that up for him. So thinking then about this necessity to have fraternity, because with, you know, we talked about encounter, well, without encounter, we won't be able to build true fraternity. Um, the other will seem too alien, we won't understand why we should let others um, modify the exercise of our rights. But if we see the other as a fellow human being, as a brother or sister in Christ, then it becomes obvious. Then it becomes obvious why we would sacrifice something for the sake of these others. Yeah, I think he says, Pope Francis, that fraternity needs to become, for this world to emerge from the COVID crisis in a better way, fraternity needs to become like the organizing principle of human society. It needs to not only take its rightful place um, among liberty and equality, but almost maybe a priority of place in a world that's becoming increasingly individualistic and secular and self-centered. You know, he he talks about spectatorship, and that's something that I think America and and the church really struggles from, is it's almost like... Um, an athletic game, you know, like a baseball game or a football game in which you have this huge crowd all watching the players on the field and everybody's got an opinion. You know, it's, it's really funny. It's like, everybody's got an opinion about this player or that player, what he did wrong or what the referee, you know, made a a miscall. But it's like, 
point, we point so many fingers at the people who are actually in the game and like we, without realizing like, wow, what it's costing them, like without the appreciation always. And I know we do applaud our, our athletes and things like that, but you know, Pope Francis is calling us to enter the game, enter the field, you know, to get away from um, being a commentary or a commentator, a critic, a spectator who's just watching this world unfold without us and maybe even being critical of it or critical of others, which certainly doesn't come from God. But we've become a nation of, um, you know, think about all the news, the media outlets, the pundits, you know, and and not just in the secular media, but in the Catholic world, too. You know, how much is this building up our spirit, spirit and really encouraging us, inviting us to leave our comfort zone, to leave our security, to leave our, you know, our houses and to encounter people who are in need of God's mercy and who are in need of fraternity. I, I think, we, you know, we, it's like we got to get away from activities that are self-oriented. Um, I mean, media is such a good example. Media and entertainment, it's like, where is that all leading us? And I think even the blogosphere, you might be able to speak a little bit more about this because I've kind of dropped out of that world, Malcolm. But it seems to me that the blogosphere kind of goes around in a lot of circles, a lot of pointing, and a lot of it's directed at Pope Francis, what he's doing wrong. You know, whereas Pope Francis is going about his business as Pope, revealing the love of God to the world and impacting thousands of lives. And here in American, it's like, we're, we're constantly saying, oh, you know, we're constantly focused on doctrinal maybe issues, you know, and it's like, well, I, I understand that that's very important. What's, what's more important is revealing the love of God in our midst to a broken and hurting world. I mean, that's what we are going to be judged on. That's what Jesus tells us we will be judged on. St. John of the Cross, at the evening of life, we will be judged on love. And we will not be judged on what what the Pope was doing at this time and, and how we were pointing out what he was doing wrong. Like that's I think it's good for everybody to, to reflect on that. It's like we're not responsible for the Pope right now. I mean, we're responsible for what God, the domain that God has given to us and becoming active participants in the world around us. Like, you know, I, I whenever I go home and spend time with my family, I'm always so struck of like at, in the neighborhood, there's just so few people. Although COVID has changed that. I, I do see people walking about with their dogs and biking and families being a little bit more together. But it, it just makes me think, where are all the people? This is like a ghost town. It's a big neighborhood. And, um, you know, this, this invitation to go into the world, you know, with courage, with trust, without answers too, you know, like, I think that's one of the hangups that we have is that we have so many answers. I think we have to be really careful about having all answers, all the answers, and maybe reflect on that. Like we don't know, you don't, we don't have all the answers and that, you know, we're, we're quite ignorant of um, what needs to actually happen in this world, apart from maybe what God is prompting us to do, you know, cause it, it seems like that's so many politicians, so many people saying, this is what needs to happen. This is what we need to do. Wow. Like, you know, Maybe that's not so important, like the global global politics for us to be talking about. Maybe what's important is, like you mentioned, Malcolm, the people that are around us, um, you know, and how do we cultivate fraternity in in our own spheres, 
and what does that look like? Like, I think that's, that's what I'm excited to talk more about in this, um, let us dream, you know, like, what is it, what does it look like? We remember we had um, somebody join us for a podcast and that was something that he appreciated about what we were talking about is that we didn't remain in, um, ideological niches or philosophical abstract conversation. We, we, we tried to touch on reality. We tried to touch on practical things. And that's what Pope Francis is really, I, I think, touching on, in, in, at least in the prologue of this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, and, and I can certainly agree that it does seem that in our political discourse, um, the farther things are away from our everyday life and the less we can actually impact them, the more we talk about them. So, like, nobody's ever talking about, say, when there's a local election here in my town of Littleton. Um, I can hardly find out anything about the people running, and therefore I can't really tell how to cast a vote. I, it's really difficult to figure out. Whereas every time there's an election that's going to affect Washington, D.C., which is the farthest away from us, and the thing we can do least about, uh, you know, the news covers it nonstop for years ahead of time. And you hear every tiny detail of every single candidate's life thoroughly hashed over. And similar, yeah, in the church, you're right. People are spending a lot of time obsessing about what Pope Francis and the cardinals in Rome are doing and whether they're doing a good job or not. When really, like they can't, with the case of Pope Francis, we don't even get to cast a vote for who's Pope. And so all these these naysayers are wasting their time and distracting from the important work that Pope Francis is actually trying to point out to them to do. And that's too why, you know, like I was worried about this as I launched, you know, another blog and podcast. It's like, does the world need more talk? And so that's one of the reasons I've been trying in this project to focus on uh, showcasing people who are out there, actually in this case, building community, um, who are actually, you know, like presenting different models to people. It's like, well, here's what they're doing. And here's their oftentimes very practical advice. Uh, and here's what you could be doing, you know, uh, so long as um, so long as, you know, people are just, say, listening to this and thinking, oh, like, this is very interesting. Um, obviously, that's not going to change. But what the hope, of course, is that people will be inspired by these conversations to go and emulate some of these uh, projects that we're trying to present, emulate some of these individuals that we're choosing to discuss I like the way uh, Peter Marin, the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, put it. He said that the program had to be threefold. There had to be what he called the roundtable discussions for the clarification of thought, because he said, sure, you know, you need to clarify thought. But then points two and three were houses of hospitality to take care of people because, you know, the system's broken and we need to take care of people who are hurt. But then even beyond that, he wanted to set up what he called agronomic universities to change the world, to build a different system altogether. So too many programs, I think, uh, they, they start with the roundtable discussions for the clarification of thought, but it just stays there and the thought doesn't get any clearer. It just, as you said, it goes round and round. <laughs> yeah. Wait, um, what was the um, clarification of thought? What was What were the other two again, Malcolm? The other two were then the houses of hospitality to take people in, and then what he called an agronomic university, sort of like a a retraining program, you could almost say, for people to uh, learn new skills and start building a new way of life together. That was the, the three-step program that he thought would, would uh, uh, solve the problems of society. So it was, you know, yeah. practical Got stuff. It. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And, and, you know, one thing that I think, like another highlight – 
of what maybe the pandemic is is giving us um, a positive is that people are like relearning skills, learning how to do things, how to work with their hands. I mean, in a lot of ways, we've become um, like useless in a lot of ways, you know, like we we don't know how to do many things because everything's given to us, you know, and everything's kind of electronic and we've got so many things um, around us that provide for our needs. But I think one of the keys for Christian communities is getting back to doing things with our hands again and doing mm -hmm. them with each other and maybe getting back to apprenticing, um, you know, with those who, who have skills, learning how to, to bake or to build or, you know, just to, 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 to make things. Um, I remember that uh, long before the, uh, the current political polarization that was in part driven by COVID, I was talking with some people and we were talking about how if all of our interaction with other people is filtered through kind of disembedded um, social media or political parties or all these other kind of abstract things, if we don't relate to other people by working together with our hands, um, we'll end up killing one another with our hands. That, that the, the division that grows up when we're not working together uh, will flow over into violence where in the real world we'll kill one another. And unfortunately, we're starting to see that dynamic taking place, that, that hostilities and divisions that are cultivated in an abstract online discourse are starting to flow over into violence in the real world. Because we were talking about how, say, in a medieval village, you know, people have never got along very well. People, uh, as G.K. Chesterton said, God told us to love our neighbors and our enemies because they're often the same people. <laughs> but the, in, say, in a medieval village where you all had to work together to get the harvest in or you were all going to starve, that work helped to bind people together. You, you needed the others, and so you couldn't just write half the town off. But today, because we don't really need one another very much in a, in a direct way, we can feel free to uh, write off half the town depending on which political sign they put out. I was, there, there's like an online neighborhood forum, and I was shocked around election time when people were saying, someone said, you know, let's, let's dial down the political rhetoric. It doesn't matter which political sign my neighbor has in their yard. I'm still going to wave to them in a friendly way because, you know, they're our neighbor. And people from both sides of the political spectrum said, not a bit. I'm never going to wave to anybody who has X sign or Y sign in their yard. What? You know, like, you think I'm going to be on friendly terms with someone like that? Um, and it, it, it showed me a, a world edging dangerously close to, to violence, to a breakdown of society. Because these people, like, they, they, they didn't have to interact with the neighbors because they didn't work with the neighbors. They went, each of them drove out every day to go to whatever it is they did. And again, this, this sort of thing like that's highlighted by COVID uh, long pre-existed it. Um, it's not a new phenomenon. It's simply become more obvious. Yeah, that is one of the um, unfortunate growing tendencies, isn't it? You know, these ideological mentalities that we have that really kind of box reality in and label label reality and label others according to our limited perception of how we interpret the world and how, wow, how media does such a good job of kind of influencing that. But 
but yeah, like our, our isolation, our lack of encounters with others tends to reinforce it. You know, we live in a world of our own making, of our own choosing and of our own thinking. I think one of the most important things, I remember reading an article about this, that like a, like a small town began hosting um, neighborhood or, or town like lunches for people and how it became one of the best ways to build community. It was for people of different backgrounds to come and share a meal together and just have a conversation. And the degree to which that broke down um, stereotypes, labels, um, artificial divisions, just by sitting down and having a meal and letting other, just connecting with other people. So I think along with working with our hands is like learning to, opening up to share meals with people, to connect with others and um, yeah, not, not boxing in this world so much. I, I, it goes back to an earlier point, like letting go of maybe some of the, but some of the, I guess, ideas we have about the world around us and um, inviting like inviting new people and new perspectives and just taking on a humble perspective before the world before us. You know, I just want to mention two more points. Um, one is that, you know, I did get to get, gather with a, no, a few different Christian communities during the pandemic. And it was beautiful and inspiring. So that was one point about just like the beauty of Christian community to continue living in a healthy way, in a vulnerable way through the crisis and bound together a little bit more. The second point is just about Pope Francis. Um, and I wanted to mention this really at the beginning, but he gives us a different perspective because he comes from the global south. And in Ar Argentina, where he was um, archbishop for so long, you know, he was in a world of really encounter with the poor. I mean, um, where the poor was the majority of the population and he traveled with them. He walked with them. He was their pastor. You know, he learned to, to live among them and not distance himself from their pain and their suffering. And I think a lot of the American dream is almost like that. It's like the opposite. It's like we're trying to create a world in which we're distancing ourselves from what's uncomfortable, what's painful um, in the world around us and kind of create our own little like Pleasantville um, in our, in our white picket fence. So I just, I, I think it's the gospel applied, you know, it's like the gospel needs to be applied to the world, not talked about. We have enough talk, you know, and talk is cheap as, it, as, as we hear, you know, it's like what we need. And, and the gospel is not a matter of talk. It's a, it's a matter of power. You know, we need powerful witnesses and, intervention in in the lives and, and the world around us and that's what i think that is the voice that pope francis is giving us from his encounter with the, the the world around him yeah thanks so much peter for coming here i i really agree with that uh last uh point about pope francis and his different perspective that can be very puzzling i think to north americans because he is from south america and from such a different context you know like we've never had a pope from latin america before so obviously he's going to be somewhat different, but that can be confusing. And and then as far as, yeah, experiencing, you know, he talks about how only if you go to the peripheries can you see reality as it is. And the peripheries are different for each person. For someone, it might be someone from a different political party who is peripheral to their understanding of the world. It might be lonely people in nursing homes, the homeless on the street, just someone who you, you would never talk to otherwise. So uh, since we try and wrap these episodes up with a little bit of a practical suggestion 
for this one, I would suggest, you know, reach out to someone on the peripheries, wherever the peripheries are for you, to be able to see reality in a clearer way. Because as Pope Francis said, if we don't go to the peripheries, we can't see reality. And if we don't see reality clearly, we won't see what God's calling us to, because God is only found in the real, not in in our own imagining of what reality is like. So thanks again, uh, Peter, for the great conversation. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Malcolm. You too.